you on, I think this is our last week of summer, right? It's hard to believe it is already over. Hey, just a quick word about next week. Um, next week being the first week of school starting back. So instead of, we'll still meet together, but instead of having our study of the attributes of God, next week we're doing a prayer meeting together specifically to pray for kids that we know as they start the new school year. Pray for college students we know, pray for teenagers we know, pray for the kids we know. So you don't have to be a parent to come to this. You all know kids, and here's a chance to pray for your kids, to pray for your neighbors, to pray for your grandkids. There's a chance for us just to pray over the kids, but also we want to pray over the teachers in our church as they go back into schools. We want to pray for the schools. And so it's really next week will be a prayer meeting. It's a prayer meeting focused. We'll pray for other things, but really focused on praying for kids' school, start the new school year, praying for our own kids' ministries and youth ministries as they begin the new year. So I hope you'll be back next week. Same time, everything will be normal. Just we'll, instead of doing our attributes of God, we will do a prayer time. And then the following week on the 16th, we'll get back in the attributes study, talking about God as a God of peace and order. But tonight, that brings us to tonight's topic, and hopefully you all have the handout. This is week number 10, the 10th attribute of God we've looked at so far. And tonight we're talking about God is omnipotent. This means God is all-powerful. And as we start tonight, it's fitting to read from Ephesians chapter 1, because we see this attribute... And we see so many other things besides just this attribute. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. And like we see, say, most weeks, it's fitting here at the beginning to acknowledge that we're dependent upon God's revelation. We know nothing of God unless he chooses to reveal himself to us. And so this is Paul's praying this in Ephesians 1. He's praying that God would give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Friends, if God doesn't reveal himself to us and show us who he is, we have no hope to know who he is. And so he's revealed to himself to us, and we see in here the greatness of his power. We see the working of his great might. And we'll talk a lot more about what that power is and that might is tonight. So we get started this quote from A.W. Pink. He says, we cannot have a right conception of God unless we think of him as all-powerful as well as all-wise. He who cannot do what he will and perform all his pleasure cannot be God. So just realize as we're starting tonight, this is so fundamental to who God is. If God is not all-powerful, why would we follow him? If there's a needy God, a dependent God, a God who's weak, why would we have any business following him? And so this is such an important attribute, as they all are into God's care. So turn the page, page number two. We've been talking about the communicable attributes of God. As you know, these are the attributes that God shares, that God communicates with us. And the key word is always impart. We have them in tiny form compared to the vastness and greatness of how these attributes are manifest in God. We've seen three so far. We've seen God's omniscience. This is God fully knows everything all the time. And we talked about he just knows. He doesn't have to learn. He just knows. Then we looked at God's wisdom, that God always chooses what is best. You see it in creation, you see it in redemption, you see it in our lives, that God always chooses what is best. Then we saw last week the truthfulness of God. We saw this was his very nature. It's not just his words and actions. Those reflect truth, but he is truth. His nature is truth in this. And therefore, everything he does, everything he says has to be true because it comes out of his nature. Now, before we get to tonight's, the fourth communicable one, we need to remind ourselves of the unity of God. 
Remember back when we started this teaching and we talked about the attributes of God he does not share, the incommunicable attributes. The first one we started with week one was the unity of God. Friends, we're not unified. We have good days, we have bad days. We have days we're happy, days we're sad. God is fully all the attributes all the time. God doesn't get up in a merciful mood today and get up in a wrathful mood tomorrow. Like it's, he doesn't change. He's fully all the attributes all the time. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. God doesn't change. And so his attributes are all unified. And so as we begin tonight and think about this, we just need to remind ourselves of the importance of this. God is fully everything, and the attributes all define one another. If God was all-powerful but not all-good, that would be terrifying. If we served a God who was all-powerful but not all-good. Likewise, if we served a God who was all-good but not all-powerful, he'd be weak and while we follow him. And so we see all these attributes fit together to show us who God is and just want to remind us of that. So tonight, let's talk about God is omnipotent. What in the world does that mean? Well, this is coming from two Latin words, the word omni, which means all, and the word potens, which means powerful. So God is all Powerful is what we're saying when he says he is omnipotent. Now, what is power? When we think of power, I immediately go to the electric grid and hydroelectric plants and nuclear plants. And you know, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about power. We're talking about the, the ability to accomplish an end. We know what we want to do, and we're able to get there to do it. And so power looks in different ways in different times. If I go to the weight room with Robbie Collins, Robbie Collins has a level of power in the weight room that CJ and I don't have. He's got an ability to be like, I'm just going to do 100 push-ups to warm up, you know. And he, he's got power in that. He has the ability to do something. And I might want to do 100 push-ups and then go do bench press. I can't. He can. He's got the power to do it. That's what we're talking about, the ability to do something to accomplish what we desire on that. In relation to God, that means, and it's there in the middle of page 2, God has all the ability to accomplish any end that he desires. That God has all the ability to do whatever God wants to do and different people try to explain that and so here's several people attempting to explain this power of god this ability to accomplish what he wants john frame simply says god can do what god can do kind of gets a little bit philosophical on us here but he's saying basically god is a standard we're not comparing god's power to some other standard to measure it god does what god does and that's the epitome of all power so god is his own standard in that bavink says scripture nowhere sets bounds to god's power Again, you look at God, you look at Scripture as God's revealed himself, and he has no limits. Whatever God wants to do, God is able to do. Grudem, who I have to throw in there every week, says, God's omnipotence means that God is able to do all his holy will. And that's an important qualifier on the end. Can God do anything? Well, could God sin? Could God violate his promises? Well, no, so we need to clarify that, and we'll talk about that in a minute God's omnipotence means God is able to do all of his holy, his perfect will, not just anything. James Boyce says God's power is the effective energy inherent in his nature by which he's able to do all things. The exercise of that power is dependent upon his will or purpose and is limited not by what he can do, but by what he chooses to do. So there's no limitations imposed upon God. If God chooses not to save that city, that's his choice, not because there's a limitation on his part. God does what God wants to do. I never quoted this guy before. Stephen Charnock, he was actually a Puritan pastor. He had a great definition of omnipotence. He says, the power of God is that ability and strength whereby he can bring to pass whatever he pleases, whatsoever his w- infinite wisdom may direct, and whatsoever the infinite purity of his will may resolve. How vain would be the eternal counsels if power did not step in to execute them. You realize that how vain it would be if God desired all these things to happen he had no ability to do them. And then finally, Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, says God's power is like himself. 
self-existent, self-sustained. The mightiest of men cannot add so much as a shadow of increased power to the omnipotent one. Friends, what a reminder. God needs nothing from us. God doesn't need our strength. He doesn't need our power. God needs nothing. God has all power. So I try to simplify, and here's my definition. God is all-powerful. He can always do what he decides to do. And I think that just kind of boils it down to what it is. God can do, always do whatsoever he declares or decides to do. Other terms for this, you'll see infinite power, infinite, no limitation. You also see this in terms of sovereignty. You hear the word sovereign, you think of the olden days of kings. Kings were sovereign over a place. People talk about the sovereignty of God. Sometimes they'll differentiate this and pull this as a whole separate attribute or a whole separate section of a theology book. But sovereignty is God's rule over his creation. And with that saying, that requires power. And so it's almost hard to differentiate sovereignty versus God's all power because sovereignty is simply the expression, the exercise of his rule. That is his power being manifest. Therefore, I group these together that we could talk a lot more about that. So just realize some people you read may pull these out separate. I'm going to put them together. Let's turn the page, page number three. I want you to see as we kind of begin here how God's omnipotence, his all power is seen in scripture. And there's lots of scripture. This is one of those, it's not like I'm hunting for three or four scriptures. I mean, this is just just barely, you know, getting to the beginning of what we could say on this. So I tried to split it into categories for us. And let's look at, first of all, how his power is seen in some of his names, how God is described. Genesis 17, 1, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. If you do a quick search of the scriptures, the word Almighty is used 56 times in the Bible. And of all the 56 times, it's only used to describe God. You won't find that word used to describe anything else in the Bible except for God. It's one of his names, descriptions. And in the Greek language, it means possessing all power and authority. And the word in the Hebrew that would translate would be very similar. It would be all power, all authority. I am God Almighty. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 24. Therefore the Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel. You see him as being the mighty, the powerful one. <laughs> Mark 14, 62. <coughs> Excuse me. And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. So referring to the Father there, he's, this, Jesus will be seated at the right hand of power. That's how powerful God is. It's even a name for him there. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And then Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty pearls of, peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. <clears throat> Again, you'll find more than 56 references to the word God Almighty in Scripture. That's just a quick sampling of a few of these for you. But not just in his names. The Bible describes God as strong. And there's, again, many, many, many of these. Here's just two from the book of Psalms. Psalm 24, 8. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Or Psalm 62, 11. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Why well, is the psalmist saying twice I have spoken? He's just simply saying this is sure. This is... There's, this is with absolute certainty I'm uh, making this affirmation. Power belongs to God. God can do whatever God wants to do. Likewise, the Bible affirms in many places that nothing is impossible for God. Genesis 18, 14. This is a rhetorical question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you. About this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. So if you remember when God promised Abraham his descendants would be as many as the stars in the sky, and Abraham and Sarah are having trouble believing this, God simply says, is anything too hard for God? And the answer is no. It doesn't matter how impossible it seems from a human perspective. 
there is nothing that is impossible. There's nothing too hard for God. Let's go to the book of Job. I haven't quoted Job yet, and it's time for that. We've got to do Job every week in attributes, right? Job 42.2, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. There in the midst of Job's trials, he is affirming to God that God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. Even in the midst of his trials and sufferings, he's affirming that, God, that no purpose of God's could be stopped. That'll be important for what we talk about later. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17. Ah, Lord God, it is you who made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. So friends, if we're doubting the power of God, we just need to go out and look at the sky one night, right? God spoke creation into being. His, his word is that powerful. He speaks and universes come into being. And what follows, if you go read further on in Jeremiah, though it's not on your handout, is a reminder of the Exodus and how God's power was seen in the Exodus. When God's people have been in slavery for 400 years and God delivers them, it's through mighty power he brings them out. And Jeremiah is reminding the people of how powerful God is as seen in creation and in thinking of their history, how God has moved. Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. This is the account of the rich young ruler. But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. This is in response to the question, How then can anyone be saved? It's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. How could anyone be saved? Jesus affirms, It's impossible with man, but God's all powerful. It's possible with him. And then Luke, 1, Luke chapter 1, verse 37, again, when the angel Gabriel appears to Mary and says, you're going to have a child, and she says, how can that be? I'm a virgin. What's the response is, nothing will be impossible with God. <clears throat> God is all-powerful. It doesn't matter how many laws of nature it violates, God can do what God wants to do. No, there's no limitation on him. Or Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, According to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And, just, and notice this. Ephesians 3.20. He can do far more abundantly. I mean, how much more clear can that be than anything we could ask? Friend, think of the biggest prayer request you could possibly ask God to do, and God can do far more abundantly than that. And that's the power that's at work in our lives. So turn the page, page four. Where do we see God's power at work? Well, here's your cheap answer everywhere. I mean, really, there's not a place where God's power is not at work. But I wanted to highlight just four briefly tonight to help us think about that. Where do we see God's power? First of all, in creation. We just saw this in the Jeremiah 32 passage. But we see God's power in creation. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 3, how do you do it? And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Friends, I think, especially if we've grown up in the church, we've heard the creation account of Genesis 1 so much, we miss the wonder of this text. God speaks. He doesn't take raw materials and put them together and create... God speaks into nothingness. Out of nothingness, boom, everything appears. Now, there's a Bible translation out there. We've had some fun this week as a staff joking around. I see CJ hanging his head. There's a, there's a, there's a Bible translation I don't recommend to you. So is it, if a paraphrase is here, it's below the level of a paraphrase. But they're trying to, it's called the word on the street. They're trying to put the Bible into street language. And they do this with Genesis 1, but where I disagree with their translation philosophy, it helps us recover some wonder here. Here's Genesis 1.1, according to word on the street. First off, nothing. No light, no time, no substance, no matter. Second off, God starts it all off and whaps stuff everywhere. Now, again, I wouldn't commend that Bible translation to your reading, but do you get the, the wonder of that? 
There's nothing, no matter, no substance, no light. There's no time yet. There's no gravity. There is absolute nothing. There is just God. There's no universe. There's nothing except God. And into that nothingness, God speaks and there's light. This is before he makes stars. There's no stars and suns to give light. There's none of that. God just speaks now there's light, though there's no light source besides himself. I mean, don't lose the wonder of his power is seen in creation. The psalmist does that as well. Psalm 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, oh, their host. His power is so great. The breath of his mouth causes galaxies to spin into existence there. Second of all, we see God's power at work in his providential rule over that creation. God didn't make the world and just be hands off. Providence means that God constantly is involved in all of his creation ruling over it all. He sustains that creation that he made. So God's providence is his rule over it. Why does grass not grow into trees? Why does the air not become mud? You know, because God made it to retain its properties. God is in the business of sustaining that which he made so it operates in the way that he made for it to operate. He sustains it all. Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 6. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts the earth, and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You see the worship of God because of his creation, but also the worship of God because he preserves all that he made. Colossians chapter 1 verse 17 tells us very succinctly the same thing. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Friends, you do realize this, that if Jesus stopped his sustaining activity, everything would just obliterate, and we'd back to nothingness. There'd be nothing but God. If Jesus takes his hand off sustaining his creation, it would just deteriorate. There would be nothing. God is the one who sustains it and keeps the earth spinning around this, or rotating around the sun and spinning on its axis. He's the one who keeps the stars shining. He's the one who keeps everything in motion. That's God's work. Again, back to the book of Job. I, I love this verse. This is a great verse on God's rule. If he, God, should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. Not a cool verse. This is his sustaining activity that if God chose, God does, isn't going to do this, but if he chose to, he took his heart, if his heart changed, and he gathered himself his spirit, his breath. If he withdrew himself from his creation, all flesh would perish and man would return to dust because we wouldn't have God upholding us. We see God's power in the way he upholds his creation, including upholding us. Number three, we see God's power work in redemption and in the gospel. And there's so much we could say on this, but just briefly tonight, this quote from John Frame. Redemption itself contradicts all human expectations. It is God's mighty power entering a situation that from a human viewpoint is hopeless. And friends, you know, even as we're working through the gospel of John and week after week on Sunday mornings, we see the Jewish religious leaders not able to believe. Why? Because it's so counter to what any human would expect. That God in his infinite wisdom would come and become a man and take on human flesh and live a perfect life to fulfill the law that we can fulfill and go to the cross and be crucified, take the wrath of a holy God and rise on the third day and defeat death and come back to life and ascend back into heaven. I mean, this goes against anything that people would have expected. It's God's power at work showing him doing what only he can do that we can't do. So I love Romans 1.16. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God. For salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also the Greek. The power is not in church growth strategies. The power is not in how effective we are at sharing Christ with others. In our winsomeness or our apologetic skills. The power is in the gospel. And the gospel alone. Because it's his power, not, <clears throat> not ours. 
And then 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 23 and 24. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. <clears throat> Again, there's a lot more we can say on this. If you want to read more about God's power and redemption, there's a book in the Resource Center in the hall called The Explicit Gospel, Matt Chandler. If you want to re- rediscover wonder of the greatness of God and his power and the gospel, I highly recommend that, that book to you. So turn the page. We also see God's, on page five, God's power in his dealings with his people. And again, there's so much we can say on this, but I want to remind you as you think about the scripture, you look at like the Exodus and God's power seen delivering his people. You look throughout scripture and God's power with his people. You look at the book of Acts and God's power being manifest in the lives of his people. Realize that God's power is unchanging. The same power we see in scripture at work on behalf of God's people is still at work today, friends. God's hands aren't tied now. He's like, man, I wish it was back in the days of Acts when I could move and oh, I wish, wish I could do that today. No! God's power doesn't change. God's ability doesn't change. The same power that was available to deliver God's people from Exodus and or from the slavery in Egypt through the Exodus, the same power that was at work in the early church is the same power that's still moving today for God to accomplish his purposes. And that's why we can cling to promises like in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I am sure of this, notice the confidence, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Friends, this is the God who spoke the universe. Again, to quote word on the street, whap, it all appears, stuff everywhere. The God who can, can speak and whap, stuff appears everywhere, is the God who says, I will bring it to completion in your life. We can have confidence in his work there. Likewise, in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, if God is all-powerful, listen to what he tells us, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> How can we really be confident that God is going to enable us to not be afraid in the trials and have peace? It's the God who spoke the world into being. It's the God who willed redemption. The God who did all these things can speak to us and say, don't be anxious, I'm in control, I'm all-powerful. And we can believe it, friends. John Frame has a great, convicting, challenging quote. He says, God can do all things is a normative premise that should govern the thinking of his people. So just pause there. This, this idea, God can do all things. We affirm that. We say we believe it. But this is a normative premise that should govern the thinking of us. When God promises something that seems impossible, God's people should be thinking not only that God's word is always true, but also that God can do all things. So friends, I don't know when you're like, but perhaps there's some promises of God that seem almost impossible to you. Can you cling to them? Because God is true to his word and God can do all all things. I just encourage you to remember God's dealings with his people and find hope in that. <clears throat> several clarifications, several aspects of God's omnipotence. I want to mention, first of all, the obvious, nothing is too hard for God. So I'm not even going to go through a list of scriptures. That's what we just looked at a page or two ago. Nothing is too hard for God. Hard is a human word. Easy is a human word. When God moves, it's effortless. When God speaks and the universe comes into being, it's not like he's sweating. He's like, Whew. Oh, that was a tough one. Okay, let's see if we can get make light now. Light. Oh, I'm tired now. Like, no. It's effortless. God's power is so great. It doesn't take effort for God to do things. <clears throat> effort is a human limitation. Easy, hard is human experience, not God. Nothing is too hard, <clears throat> excuse me, for God. Number two, God is infinite. This means he could do more than he has done if he had willed to do so. God does what God wants to do. <clears throat> He's so powerful. It's not like he, he did what he did because that's all he could do. If God had wanted to have 100 earths circling the sun right here with human life and all 100 earths, he could have done it. God can do what God wants to do. 
If God wanted to create things differently, if he wanted to reveal the gospel not through the words of Christ, but if he wanted to paint in the sky and have clouds every day appear and make patterns in the sky that said, I am Jesus, believe in me, he could do it. God can do what God wants to do. He chooses what he does out of his sovereign will, his perfect pleasure in this. Just three scriptures that remind us of that. Exodus chapter 32. God's speaking to Moses here. And he says, Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God. And if you know the story there, God relents. We talked about that from God is immutable, God is unchanging, what that really meant. But God relents there. God could have, he had the power to obliterate Israel right there. He chose not to. God could have done something different than he did because he's all-powerful. He did not choose to not obliterate Israel because he was weak and couldn't do it. He just chose not to in response to the prayer of some of his people. Luke chapter 10, verse 13, we looked at this before when we looked at at middle knowledge and how God could do different, knows all possibilities. Jesus says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. God chose not to do mighty works there. He could have. He chose not to. In Matthew 3, 9, And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. God doesn't even need us to propagate the human race. He could take stones and breathe life into them if he wanted to. He doesn't do it. So why does God not do these things? We don't know, friends. That's his sovereign will. God's not a God that we can understand in human logic. It's not on your page here, but jot down Deuteronomy 29, 29. It's, it says there, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. Why did God choose not to do those mighty signs in Chorazin and Bethsaida? We don't know. The secret things belong to the Lord. Why did he choose not to wipe out Israel there because of Moses' prayer? Well, there may be some hints at it, but the secret things belong to the Lord. He doesn't show us, and it's not our, we're not entitled to learn that from him. God is God. God will do what God wants to do. Number three, no one and nothing can stop God. This is huge. This is important. Nothing, absolutely nothing can stop God. Job chapter 23, verse 13. But he, God, is unchangeable. And who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. Friends, you could put every human army on the whole planet together and war against God, and God could be like, and they're all dead. I mean, there's absolutely nothing. All the intellect of the whole world, all the power of the whole world, and God could just kind of breathe and obliterate them all. Like, there's nothing that can stop God. Isaiah 43, 13. Also, henceforth, I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? Or Daniel 4.35, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Now turn the page. I'll explain the pictures in a minute if you're going, what in the world are those pictures? There's an important truth here that's so misunderstood in, in evangelical Christianity today. This truth that nothing can stop God means that Satan himself cannot hinder or stop God in any way. Friends, when I talk to people today... I often get this, their sense that if they think about spiritual warfare and spiritual battles, they somehow say it like Star Wars. Now, I love Star Wars. I'm introducing my boys to Star Wars. They're fun movies. But this is not the force in the dark side at work, and you never know who's going to prevail. Satan is defeated. It's done deal. There's no question about it. It's not like, you know, who's going to win in the end. God's told us the end of the story. Satan himself cannot stop God. Satan cannot hinder God's plans in any way. God is all-powerful. Satan is like a little minion down here compared to God's power. 
But again, people seem to have this confused idea, and when you read a lot of books on spiritual warfare, <clears throat> excuse me, I would not recommend going and picking up a book at the bookstore on spiritual warfare, because most of them it's almost like God and Satan are equals and they're fighting, and that's not it. Satan's an angel who fell. <clears throat> God is much bigger than Satan, and so Satan cannot stop God. Matthew chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. But if, and this is Jesus speaking, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How, or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds a strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Now this verse gets misapplied a lot today. Who's the one who binds the strong man? It's Jesus. When Jesus came, Jesus bound the strong man. It's not, friends, it's not our job to go around praying, binding the strong man. Jesus has already bound Satan. That's what he did. That's his power. We don't have the power to bind Satan. Jesus bound Satan already. Therefore, Jesus can do what he wants to do. Now, why are these pictures here? Years ago, I was reading some stuff from Charles Spurgeon. He had two great images to help us understand spiritual warfare and the power of Satan. The first is a garden hoe. If any of you like to garden, think of the garden hoe. What does the garden hoe do? If you can impersonate the garden hoe. The garden hoe loves tearing things up, right? It digs in dirt. It breaks roots. It tears up plants. And it destroys stuff. So that's almost what Satan's like. He's destroying stuff. He's attacking. What the garden hoe doesn't realize is the garden hoe's in the hand of the master gardener. And the gardener's allowing it to tear up a little part to make the garden more beautiful. And that's what it's like with Satan. Yes, Satan is, is trying to destroy things and, and, and break things and finds pleasure in that. But God's holding him. He can't go anywhere apart from where God allows. And in the end, where he's destroying is going to make the garden much more beautiful because God is sovereign, God is bigger, and God is even using Satan to accomplish his purposes because God is so much bigger. Another picture of that, that, that angry-looking dog, right? It's kind of a scary picture, right? I hope it's not nightmare material tonight for anyone on that. Spurgeon, Spurgeon also said, Satan is like a mean dog on a leash. If you think about it, if you're ever walking down the street and there's a, a crazy-looking dog in every house and then you hear the rah, 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 and the dog's like running to you and you see that big chain around his neck, you kind of laugh and smile as you're walking outside because all of a sudden it hits and it gets his neck pulled back and it flops on the ground, right? <clears throat> Satan's that angry dog on a leash. Satan can only go so far. God holds the leash and Satan can go no further than God allows. The whole book of Job that we keep quoting week after week is a prime example of that. CJ and I were talking about it earlier today. <clears throat> go back and reread the beginning of Job. Satan doesn't initiate that. God goes to Satan and says, have you thought about Job? And then when, so God initiates this whole thing with Job. This wasn't like God of heaven being like, oh no, he noticed, he noticed um, Job. What's, oh, what's going to happen? No, God initiates the whole thing with Job. And then out of that, he goes, okay, you can touch this, his property, but you can't touch his health. Okay, you can touch his health, but you can't take his life. God draws the parameters. God holds the leash. Satan can do nothing, even the, the, the terrible things happen to Job, apart from what God first initiates that he can do. God is holding the leash. God is holding the garden hoe. Yes, Satan wreaks destruction, but only where God allows. So to realize that God is so powerful that no one, not even Satan himself, can stop or hinder God. God is not up in heaven being like, oh, I just wish this would have happened, but man, Satan got in the way again. Rats. No. God is bigger than all that. God is sovereign. Satan is not. And I keep thinking we'll do a whole Wednesday night series sometime on spiritual warfare, but enough of that soapbox for tonight. Number four, there are some things that God cannot do because those things will violate his character and other attributes. So we start getting a little philosophical debate here. Can God do everything? Can God sin? Well, no. So can God do everything? J.I. Packer defines this way. God's power is the power to do everything that in his rational and moral perfection God wills to do. Think about it back in terms of the unity of God. God all of God's attributes define each other. So God, can God sin? Well, no, because he's also holy. He's all-powerful, but he's holy. You know, so we see the attributes all work together to explain what he can and can't do. Titus chapter 1, verse 2. <clears throat> in hope of eternal life, 
which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Can God lie? No. He's all-powerful. God can do all things, but God can't lie because that would violate his nature. <clears throat> 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So God is all-powerful, but can he deny himself and go against himself? No. Could God be unfaithful? No. He's, that's impossible for him because his nature is such things like that can't happen, though he is all-powerful. Likewise, James 1.13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So can God lie? No. Can God sin? No. Can God fail to keep his promises? No. God can do everything except what his holy nature prevents him from being able to do because it would violate his, his nature, if that makes sense on that. So turn the page real quickly. <clears throat> Remember, this is a communicable attribute of God. Communicable, he shares it with us. This means God has given us power to bring about results. That's why I have physical power, mental power, spiritual power, power persuasive power. And let's just note here, there's common grace. Believers and non-believers alike, all humanity is made in the image of God. We all have power to do things in this. We see throughout God's history with his people, he gives his people power to do things. Many examples here. It's just one from Old Testament, one from New Testament. Deuteronomy 31. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous. We shall go with his people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. How do they have the power to go conquer the land? How could they be, have the strength to be strong and courageous? God gave it to them. It's a communicable attribute. Or for the commission to us as a church today, Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to serve all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God doesn't give us a great commission without a power promise with it. I'm with you always. I will empower you to do this. And every place you see the great commission in Scripture, there is a power promise with it. This is a communicable attribute that God shares with us. But with that said, remember that, first of all, our power is very, 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 very limited. I can't put enough varies there. God is all-powerful. He speaks and the universe is coming to being. Our power is limited in incredible ways. We can only do little things in this. Even if we want to do something very right and very grand, we don't have the power to do everything we want to do. Likewise, we have to use means. I can't speak and a parking deck go up out there, right? You know, we don't have that type of power. <clears throat> God does. God can speak. We have to use means to accomplish things. Second of all, our power is dependent upon God. Any power we have is dependent upon God. I love what Pink says. Not a creature in the entire universe has an atom of power save what God delegates. For instance, strength to go to the weight room and lift weights is because God has given us strength and power to be able to do that. The power to have a discussion with someone and try to persuade them of the gospels because God has given us the power to be able to do that. And in the spiritual realm, this is not on your handout, but in the spiritual realm, this is even more important. This would be a whole message for a whole other day. We go back to John 15, 5, which we'll get to eventually on Sunday morning. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. If there's anything of any spiritual benefit that will happen... We can't make it happen on our own. We're dependent upon God's power as his power works through us and the power that he communicates to us, so to speak, in this communicable attribute. We're dependent upon him. Or Ephesians 6.10 tells us to be strong in the Lord. We're not trying to be strong in our own strength. We're dependent upon his strength to even withstand the attacks of the adversary. So our power is dependent upon God. Now, with that said, this attribute is not just some theoretical thing. It should change us. Like all the attributes, these attributes should change how we live. You see, there are three ways. God's omnipotence should lead us to worship. Friends, I love what John Frame says. God does not reveal his omnipotence 
merely so that we can engage in philosophical speculation of what he can or cannot do. God's power drives his people to worship. And I pray that when you think about God's power at work in your life and history, it drives you to worship him and praise him. Pink says again, may all tremble before such a God. And I love how he describes this. Listen to this. To treat with impudence one who can crush us more easily than we can crush a moth is a suicidal policy. Do you catch that? God could crush everyone on this planet easier than we can crush a moth on the floor. To openly defy him who is clothed with omnipotence, who can rend us in pieces and cast us into hell any moment he pleases, is a height of insanity. Well may the enlightened soul adore such a God. The wondrous and infinite perfections of such a being call for fervent worship. So this should lead us to worship God. We should be in awe of the bigness of God when we think of his power. That should drive us to worship. Second of all, it should drive us to prayer. And you're going to talk more about this in your group. But Rosemary Jensen from Bible Study Fellowship has a great prayer. She says, Lord, please forgive me for not trusting your power to do anything you desire. So often my conception of you has been too small. I have not asked you to do things that I consider impossible. Please cause me to ask for big things and trust that if they are in your plan, that you will do them for your glory. Are we ever timid in prayer because it seems like we're asking God to do the impossible and we don't really have the faith that God is so big, that God who spoke the universe into being, you know, we kind of like, I don't know if God could heal that person. I don't know if God really could save my neighbor. You know, and we get so timid about these things. This is the God who spoke and galaxies came into existence and we're afraid to ask him for big stuff. I love her, her, her confidence in approaching God but yet trusting his sovereign plans. And then third, God's omnipotence should lead us to share Christ with others. And we'll talk more about it in a group. So turn the page, page to the back page. Here's the question I want you to break up into groups and think about tonight. First of all, I want to begin with the, the personal question. How have you seen God's power at work? I want you to encourage one another. Each of you, as I've heard your stories and I begin to know you, you all have cool ways of how you've seen God at work, drawing you to himself, rescuing a family member, moving in certain ways in people's lives, answering specific prayers you prayed. So just Pick one and share something with the group and encourage them of God's power. Because there may be someone in your group who's really struggling and doubting right now. And this may be something they need to hear and be reminded of. Look at how God answered their prayers. God will hear mine also. So encourage one another with that. Number two, how does God's omnipotence help us overcome fear? All of us have fears of different types. Some have fear of being, not being in control. Some have fear of the future. Some have fear of failing. We all have different fears. How does thinking about meditating on God's omnipotence help us overcome fear? Number three, how does God's omnipotence help us fight sin in our lives? How does it help us strive for holiness? If we really believe God is all-powerful, how does that help us change our daily lives in our fight against sin? Number four, how does God's omnipotence encourage us to pray? I gave you that one quote from Rosemary Jensen, so don't just steal that one, but springboard off of that. How does the fact that God is all-powerful, how should that motivate us to pray? Number five, how does God's omnipotence provide motivation to do evangelism and missions? You know someone who's not a believer here or overseas, how's the fact God is all-powerful motivate us and help us in sharing Christ with others? Number six, our power and strength is dependent upon God. Why then do we try to do things in our own strength and not rely on God? I don't know if that's a problem for you guys, but in my life and the lives of a lot of people I know, we struggle with this. We say we know that we're dependent upon God for everything. We can affirm John 15, 5, apart from you we can do nothing. But in our daily lives... We try, to, we try to do things in our own strength, and we usually fall flat on our face, don't we? So why do, then do we try to do things in our own strength and not rely on God? And then how can we encourage one another to rely on God's strength for each day? And then finally, what songs do you know that talk about God's power? So let's divide up into several groups here. We've got Dave with a group back here. Stevie got a group right over here. And CJ up here. I think that'll be good tonight. Let's, let's do those three groups. So Dave over here, Steve in the back, CJ up front. 
And if we need to, we'll create one more group. But let's start with those three. God bless y'all.